So this message comes out of the book from Being with Jesus by Jim Branch that we've been in. Um, this is our fifth week. Next week will be our sixth and last week. And this is the, the, the devotion from What Do You See? So Mark 8, verse 22 through 25. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. So just a few observations about this, as I read about this um, this week, is this miracle is the only one that's done in a process, that they're not immediately healed, that there was a step to it, that it took some time from when Jesus first began talking to the guy. Somebody said it may have been that he spit, put spit on his eyes to loosen up his eyes, and that may be part of the process. But he seems to ask afterwards, like, what do you see? Um, it always reminds me of, like, the optometrist, one or two? You know, one or two, two or one? And I know they get frustrated with me. I'm like, can I see, can I see one one more time? You know, as I don't, it's like, I don't know. It's all kind of blurry. Um, but anyway, the other thing I thought was interesting is people brought this man. Maybe the man didn't have enough faith. That maybe he didn't think, maybe he'd been blind for however long. I mean, right at the very end of that, you notice that it says his sight was completely restored. That, does that mean that he could see before and now he's lost his sight? Um, it, that's what it indicates to me. Um, but maybe he thought, I'm going to be blind forever. Um, but, and then maybe he didn't believe, and so his friends said, come. And then I think it's interesting that Jesus grabs him by the hand and takes him outside the village. So he's been led into this place where he finally gets healed and his eyesight gets restored. So there's speculation there as far as I'm concerned. It's not real clear why. It's just we know that it did happen in stages. That is this progressive um, healing. Um, in my life, um, in our lives, Celia and I's lives, this uh, passage is significant to us. Uh, about three years ago, Celia had lost her dad in the summer of 16, and then in January of 17, we had some friends over at the house. We got this call that her mom was not doing well, and the next thing we know, we, you know, we're getting these updated text messages, and we were supposed to get in the car and go see her the next day, and so I was like, wow, well, she's going to be in the hospital. And the next thing we know, they're doing compressions. And she just suddenly died. And it was shocking to us because we just lost her dad. And then seven months later, we lost her mom. And um, so as I prepared um, to do the funeral, I came across this passage. And it really spoke to me. And I thought, because as I was you know, loving and dealing with my own loss because I love my mother-in-law, um, but trying to love and support my wife and uh, my brother-in-laws and the loss that they were experiencing and the sense of all my, my parents are gone, you know. Um, I came across this passage, and it was really helpful to me to think about, yeah, I can't explain what's happened. I can't give you the why. But what do I see? And so as I went through that, I thought, well, here's this incredible wife, my mother-in-law. She was just this phenomenal 
faithful. Uh, my father-in-law, for the longest time, just did whatever he wanted to do. And she supported him. He was an avid golfer, hunter. Uh, he used to say he was a, uh, he was a uh, trained killer by the U.S. Army. He said, y'all are hunters. I'm a killer. Um, and he was. And, and anyway, but, you know, he was always gone. She basically raised four kids because he was out the door. But by her example of faithfulness, um, a lot of people would have left him, quite frankly. But by, by her example of faithfulness, he actually came to faith in Christ at 70. And um, so she's just this phenomenal wife, fun to be around, the two of them. She was a world-class mom. I mean, I know most of you probably all have great stories about your moms. I mean, no exception. Our family loves uh, Seal, Mimi, um, as she's known. Um, and then she was the world's greatest mother-in-law as far as I was concerned, you know. And so as I began to just think back through those things and um, the way that she treated me and the way she always made me feel at home in her place. She found out that I like mashed potatoes. I never went to a big family meal, Thanksgiving, whatever, that mashed potatoes weren't on the table. Never asked for it. She just served it, right? And um, incredible, like Mimi, grandmother. I used to always say, like, if you're going to eat pizza for breakfast or kill somebody, you do it at Mimi's house because you can get away with anything there, right? And um, she was an incredible teacher. And she um, would come to Austin where they would have a lot of seminars. She lived in a small town in West Texas. She'd come to Austin and in her 60s and 70s and be excited about a new thing she learned. And she was going to teach a new way. She was always going to teach a new way. I've learned a new way to teach. And I was like, man, most people I could have been teaching for 30 or 40 years are like, yeah, I know how to teach. But she was excited and energized. But I always wanted to do something new and be a new teacher. And, man, her students loved her. And, um, and she was involved in her Sunday school and her church. And um, she just gave herself away, invested in young adults. Um, she led a, a, a Sunday school class by herself. Because as I mentioned, my father-in-law, what, you know, he went, but we, I called him LIFO, last in, first out. So anyway, and I loved him too. I don't wanna, but, but as I tick those things off for you and remember those things, like what begins to happen in me is I begin to gain, like, confidence in the Lord, right? And I begin to see his hand in her life. And yeah, I can't explain. I don't have absolute clear vision as to why he took her when he did. But it's important for me to see what I can see. And what I can see is I can see somebody who was marked by Jesus Christ and how they lived their life, right? And I'm encouraged that I've got this great example of what it looks like to be faithful to a spouse, and so those are the things that I can see. And as I see those things as part of the process, like anger and grief and being overwhelmed, those things begin to subside, right? And so what I want you all to think about today as we look at this progressive miracle, I've found four truths that came to me. So I'm going to be talking through four different truths. But as I talk through those, I want you to think about in your own lives the things that you're not sure about. What do you see? Yeah, you may not have the answer to this, but what do you see in the other things that you've seen God's hand in? So the first truth is that life offers only partial clarity, but decisions have to be made. Amen? Older adults, amen? That we sometimes have to make decisions even when we don't have all the facts, right? We get pushed and we need to make calls. 1 Corinthians 13 says, 
Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And so in that passage, it's just a good reminder that we don't get a vision of everything here. Jim Branch in his devotional this week said, life's full of decisions that have to be made, and much of the time it's anything but clear. I saw this, uh, I heard this guy speak, his name was Dan Rooney, not the Pittsburgh Steelers owner, but this other guy, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney. He flies for the Oklahoma Air National Guard. He did three tours in Iraq, and on the way home from his second tour, he was sitting on a plane, he passed a private in first class, and he thought, huh, at the time, he was a major. He's like, I'm a major, they put me in the back, they put the private in first class, like, where's the justice? You know, it was well after midnight, when they landed in Minneapolis as he was working his way home. And the pilot came on and said, hey, <clears throat> we, have a, we have Private Buckland under the, under the plane, the remains of Private Buckland under the plane, and his twin brother is the private that was sitting in first class, and he's going to go down and meet uh, Private Buckland's wife and his young son on the tarmac, and if you guys would just stay in your seats uh, out of respect until they've, we've taken his body off the plane, um, we'd appreciate it. So Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Rooney's looking out the window and watching this and just tears coming down his face. He sees this young son who's lost his dad in war. He's just thinking about as he's coming home from war, um, you know, just a hard scene. But when it was done and he got up to get off the plane, he looked around and was shocked and angry to find out that more than half the plane had gotten off. Like they couldn't just sit in their seat they had to hurry up and get off. And it stirred something up in him where he decided he was going to start a nonprofit to, pray, to pay for that young son's education and anybody else who lost their life. And it's the nonprofit's called Folds of Honor. And that's why he was speaking. But as he spoke and talked about that and talked about the challenges he's had in trying to build this nonprofit, and the Lord's uniquely suited him to do this because he's a PGA touring pro and he's a fighter pilot. And so he's a very compelling story, right? But in addition to that, he's connected to all the cash that's out on the PGA Tour. And so they've helped. And he, after hundreds or thousands of kids, get scholarships. But he talked about when he first started, he didn't know. What stuck out to me was this. When you're training to be a fighter pilot, he, he said this. It, um, you take five flights in, a, in like an F-18, and now, don't, I may have the jet wrong, but you know, the big Top Gun jets, right? And so um, you, you take these uh, progressive flights, and the, for the first four flights, you've got somebody behind you that's an instructor that's telling you what to do. So you've flown on simulators, you've flown other planes, but now you're in the, you know, the big boy, and, and you're flying it. And he said when he sat in there on the fifth flight, and you could get, you fail out of the program any time, but when he sat in on the fifth flight, um, it's solo. And he said, as you look in that cockpit, there's like 200 switches and buttons and, you know, whatever. Just, he said, I knew 20 of them. Like, that's all they trained me. I only, like, I was like, you're kidding. <laughs> right? Like, you, you can't imagine, like, getting in a plane and fixing to go the speed of sound, and you only know what one-tenth of the buttons do. And his point was this, is that we get put in situations where we don't have all the knowledge. But we still, if we're going to do what we're going to do, we have to, ex, you know, we have to step into it. We have to make a decision. We have to get something going right then and there. And you know enough, right? And so I want to just say this to you today. 
especially like kids, as you make big decisions, um, the things that I look at when I make decisions, because I don't always have all the answers and neither do any of the other adults in the room. But let me just say, you know, I just ask the question is what I feel like I'm about to supposed to do. I don't, I don't say it like that, but what is what I'm about to do? Is it um, contrary to the word of God? Does it conflict with God's word? Because the Lord's never going to ask me to do something that he's, you know, he's never going to contradict himself. He's not going to ask me to do something if it doesn't follow his word. You know, and if you're not sure, you can talk to somebody, you know, talk to a friend or a mentor or a teacher or a parent and say, I feel like I need to do this. Is it consistent with God's word? The other thing I do is I look at my circumstances, right? Like, and uh, I'm doing these things right here. Like, let's say, and I just, the best example I can give you is in my old sales job, I was a sales guy and volunteer at the church, but I didn't think anything about being a pastor, but I was doing all these roles. And as somebody else helped me step back and look at it, it was like, oh yeah, I've led men's studies and I've been a part of an elder team. And, you know, I had all these things that were preparing me to do what I'm doing now, like on the job training for nine or 10 years that I didn't, you know, didn't seem. So I had to look at my circumstances different. And that's the last thing I'll say is that's what friends are for, right? Friends help you look at something and help you gain perspective so that you might see. The other thing I want you to consider is this. What has God shown you already? If you look at, if you look at Mark 8, in verse 16, I'm going to read this for you. It says, um, I, the Lord expects, even in the midst of not being able to see everything, he expects us to lean on faith and lean on him. Look, Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? They'd gotten in the boat, they were leaving Dalmunta, I think you say it, and they're coming to Bethsaida. And they didn't, and he says, watch out for the Pharisees, like a little leaven can work its way through. And so they're like, is he talking about bread? And he's like, why, what, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. I, this, <laughs> sorry, this, like I've, I've, I was enough of a troublemaker as a kid growing up that this is the worst when you have a one-word answer, when somebody asks you four questions in a row and your answer is 12, like, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, Tom, I gave you a stick shift car to drive, right? And you drove it down Mesa. It's the speed limit's 30 miles an hour there. But, you know, blah, 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 blah. How fast are you going? 50. You're in trouble, right? They're in trouble. Do you see that? Like, you, he's asked all these questions and their answer's 12. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. Do you understand yet, he asked them. And so they have seen miracles they should know. You see that? You see that like there's something he's taught them already. And so when I can't see, I think it's always important to pull back and say, okay, what do I know? What has he shown me already? What can I count on? How do I step into this? Whatever it is, like, what are the things he's already done? Well, you know, I got a roof over my head, or, you know, he's provided for me. We, did, we ate last night, you know, or we ate this morning, or whatever. I mean, whatever those things are, like, you got to start somewhere, and you start building on that. Well, he's shown me this, and he's shown me this, and he's shown me this. Okay, I can trust him to do this. So we gain perspective. That's the second truth. 
Because we don't know, we have to gain perspective. There's a process here for a purpose. He's not teasing them. He's trying to accomplish something in them. And, and Jim Branch said it well. He said, maybe that's not what Jesus wants for me right now, to give me exactly what I want when I want it. Maybe that's not what will accomplish his purpose for me. Because what we want, we want right here and now, right? Like that's what fast food's all about. But most of us <clears throat> are doing something in our lives right now that's different and better than what we sought out to do. And the Lord's led us on this path and brought us to a place. And we didn't see it. We didn't know we'd get to do the things that we've gotten to do. And so if he's brought us from there to here, we can trust him as we go forward. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that will help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of, of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. I think it's important for me to realize that like what's going on in me is a process. What's going on parents in my kids is a process. They're not done. He's working in them. And I don't know what's best for me and I don't always know what's best for them. Some things I know, but there's other things I don't know, right? I got a son that's about to graduate from college. I don't know what he's going to do next and he doesn't either but the Lord's got him. He's going to be okay, right? And so I can trust, and I don't have to always know, but I know that the Lord's at work in his life. This guy I listened to at a men's retreat, his name was Dave Moore, um, I think. I'm pretty sure about that. This was like 15, 20 years ago. I was at a men's retreat, and um, he worked for Campus Crusade. He got assigned to Stanford. When he got to Stanford, um, he kind of surveyed the landscape and said, you know, it seems to me that if I can have an impact on this one fraternity, I'll have an impact on the campus. Like, and so he began to, to set his sights on how do I get to know the leaders of this group? And so he, in his own mind, came up with this idea that he was going to have this event. He printed up these flyers. He had the flyers ready. He was going to put them in the student mailbox. And he's probably like me, and it was very much at the last minute that he had to get the flyers in the deal on a Friday so the people would get him on a Monday for the event on a Wednesday, you know, which isn't, he needed to plan ahead, but he didn't, right? And so as he's gathered all these things and put them all in a box and he's trying to get across campus and at a certain hour, everybody gets out of class and it's crazy and the student union building fills up. And so it's like for, for him to keep his schedule, he had to go right now. And so he's running across campus and there's been this street preacher um, that has been just, spouting a lot of condemnation and he doesn't agree with the street preacher and he thinks the guy's a little crazy and he's been thinking in the back of his mind, I should take that guy on. Like, I should argue with him because he's wrong. And as he was coming up to this intersection of sidewalks, there's the guy and he's trying to get past him to the place where he needed to, where he felt like God wanted him to be, you know, to over-dramatize it. I mean, that's, he has this goal and he hears stop and talk to this guy. And he's like, no, I can't. I got to get the things. And he's like, the Lord's making it plain to him. You need to stop and engage this guy. And he's like, I don't have time. I'll tell you what, I'll go down there. I'll do my thing and I'll come back. If he's still here, I'll engage him. He's like, I want you to talk to this guy right now. And he's so frustrated and the Lord's so clear with him that he drops his box. 
And he turns around, he looks at the guy, and he gets into this big fight with him, you know, in a nice way. But he's like, no, what you're saying's wrong. And I don't remember the whole dialogue, but he takes him on. And they go back and forth, and he's talking about grace, and he's talking about condemnation. And the guy's trying to be respectful, but he also wants the, there's like 10 or 15 kids around. And as they begin this interchange, it builds to 20 and 30 and 40. And now he's got about 50 kids around him, college kids, all listening. And he said, you know what? Kids, like, hey, this guy's crazy. It's not what the Bible says. Um, you know, that's it. And Stip bends down, he's picking up his brochures or flyers, whatever he's going to mail. And he notices somebody else is helping him pick it up. And the guy puts it in his box. And he said, hey, I loved what you said to that guy. He's like, yeah, thanks. And he's thinking, I missed my deal. I'm going to have to come up with another idea. You know, he's in his mind. And the guy said, I've got some friends. And we've been, having, we've been trying to have a Bible study. And we don't have anybody to lead it. Would you be willing to come lead our Bible study? And it was the, this guy was the president of the fraternity that he'd been trying to reach. You see, so... We don't always know like where the Lord's leading us and what his plans are, but they're usually better than ours if we'll just press in. And so F.B. Meyer says this about the Lord being at work in our life. He says, for this, we are being molded and disciplined each hour and the refiner, capital R, the refiner. And this is a verse that talks about how we're purified like silver from Psalm 66. The refiner sits patiently beside the crucible intent on the process, tempering the heat, and eager that the scum should pass off. And you know that's what happens, right? As you purify silver, the scum comes off and they scrape it off the top so that the silver's more pure. And so I love this picture that here's the Lord like a refiner and he's got the heat exactly where he wants it to heat the silver up so that it can be purified. And that's what's going on in our lives. Like sometimes it feels hot, that's with purpose. It feels like a big challenge, yeah. He's trying to accomplish something better than what we might think of for ourselves. And so what I want to say is, as you come into that next deal, or maybe you're in it right now, I want you to pull back. And maybe you need to say something to your spouse or to your friends or whatever and say, hey, I'm going through a trial. Help me gain perspective. Like, I understand the Lord's trying to accomplish something. And here's my third truth that I got out of this passage, that Jesus seems to be drawing us into dependence and intimacy. The same way that this man, he held him by the hand and led him outside the village. The Lord wants to be in it with us. If we consider just some passages from last week and this week in the Being with Jesus book, John 15 that Steve Shaver did such a great job talking about last Sunday. I am the true vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, which means like remain in me, stay with me. Mark 14, there's this relationship of a woman pouring perfume on his head to anoint him. Luke 5, they'd worked hard all night, and Jesus says, let's put out and go to the deeper water, and they have to trust him, because there's no fish here. We fished all night, is what they want to say, but they're like, okay, and so they go out, and they have a huge catch, takes two boats, and then Luke 10, we all tease about this in our families, I bet, but Mary and Martha, and that Mary's figured out that spending time with Christ, that's the thing, right, and then Zach, today, talking about feeding 5,000. At the very beginning of that story, I noticed as I read it, this, this next time, look, I've heard, like you, I've heard that story a lot of times, but I noticed that at the very beginning of that, the disciples had been out preaching and teaching, and they'd come back, and he said, let's pull away. Let's get away from these crowds together, right? And so there's this process where Jesus is trying to draw us into a relationship, 
And that sometimes the stuff that we can't see causes us to be dependent on him to walk through it. Matthew 11, talking about rest, said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, unfor- learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. What I hope you hear is this, is that we are being invited into a relationship, and some of the reason that you and I can't see is so that we're dependent on him, so that we draw closer to him, and are, you know, because once you go through a trial with somebody, you're closer to him at the end of it, Right? Right. Yeah, thank you. Um, And so I just want to encourage you guys to invite Jesus into your home, into your office, into your circumstances. And just say, like, what is it? When I get frustrated, why this thing didn't go in the way that I wanted to go, okay, what are you doing? I've pressed hard enough, right? And it's not working. So I step back and I'm going to begin to ask the Lord, what are you up to? What are you trying to accomplish in me and this other person in this circumstance? Because I know you want me to be dependent on you. And I know I can't see it like I want to see it, but I'm going to trust you. And this would be my fourth truth for the day that I got out of it, is to trust him. To be patient with him and his process. He healed a blind man. Right? I mean, he, he's able to do whatever. I love Psalm 100 that we read last week. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. A few years ago, I was at a retreat at Wind River Ranch. Um, It was like a pastor's retreat. And um, it's this beautiful, like, dude ranch in Colorado in Estes Park where you're kind of looking up at Long's Peak on the other side of the ranch property. And I was watching this head wrangler break a horse. And this guy was tell, sharing his testimony as he was breaking this horse. He had two horses in the pen, and he's beginning to work with these horses. And one wants to work with them, and the other one doesn't, right? So it's kind of this funny scene, but he's just calm and patient. Um, and as he works with this horse, he said something that stuck with me. He said, you know, all the adventure is outside the pen, right? Like everything that this horse was made for is out there. It's not in the pen, like God didn't make him to run around the pen. God made him for, for out there to be this workhorse for us to have this great working relationship and so that we could scale the mountains and so that we could, you know, round up other, you know, cattle or whatever, right? But all these great things this horse can do happen outside the pen. He said, but he can't leave the pen until he's broken, until he trusts me. Right until he submits to me, and I know that he'll do what I want him to do, I can't take him out. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. I want to say especially to like the kids and the students here today, You know, the adults in the room that have been following Jesus, a lot of us longer than you've been alive, like we're not perfect. But we're serious about following him. We know that he has a purpose that's greater than our own. 
And we know that we can look back and see that he's writing a story that's much better than our own little story, right? That he's, he's got something for you like he's had something for us that's bigger and better than what you're dreaming of, quite frankly. And that was always my challenge. I'm just, I'm, that's the reason I say that is because when I was in high school and even in early parts of college, you know, I was always afraid to give myself completely to the Lord because I was afraid he was going to ask me to do something I didn't want to do, but more importantly, I wasn't going to get to do what I wanted to do. And what I say is on the other side of it, that I've been able to do things that I, never, that I love that I didn't even dream about. And so I want to encourage you to know that you can trust him. It was, I read this in a devotional from New Morning Mercies this week. It says, you don't have to be anxious about the future. A God of grace has invaded your life, and he always completes what he starts. No, our rest is in the person who holds our individual futures in his wise and gracious hands. We have peace because we know that he will complete the good things that he and grace has initiated in our lives. Listen, he is faithful, so he never leaves the work of his hands. He is gracious, so he gives us what we need, not what we deserve. He is wise, so he always does what's best. He is sovereign, so he rules all the situations and locations where we live. He is powerful, so he can do what he pleases when he pleases. Friends, like, let's set our sights on the realities of heaven. When we can't see, let's not get frustrated. Let's lean in and ask our Heavenly Father what he's up to, what he's trying to accomplish. You know, it's healthy for me and probably for you to go read the last two chapters of Scripture, Revelation 21 and 22, and hear that like our future is this incredible place where there's no more crying and no more pain and no more saying goodbye to the people that you love, but that we live in an eternity with him and that he has built this place and will bring it to, and bring it to be. And that in that time and in that place, like we won't need the sun or the moon because the Lord will be there. And he'll be the one that will illuminate everything as his presence, that we'll be with him there, just like Adam and Eve were with him at the beginning. So let me just ask you, like, in your life, in the things that you're struggling with, and the things that you don't know about, what do you see? I thought about that this week. I see some incredible adults who come in and set this place up every Sunday to make us have church in a middle school cafeteria. I see some adults who go back and teach. They hold babies. They teach pre-K. They teach our, what we call the PAC, our young elementary. They teach Troop 412. They're not in here worshiping or hearing a message. They're giving their time. They teach kids in a fun way that Jesus loves them and they can trust them. I see a student ministry that doesn't just reach our children, but reaches the children of our community, right? That when we, we typically take a couple busloads of kids to camp where they have an opportunity to know and hear that God loves them. And I see that ministry all year long doing some incredible things. I see a crowd of young adults, 20-somethings, maybe some of them are aging out of the 20-something, but, you know, just that 
see there's a value in being known in a small church community. That's unique for a church our size to have that many younger people. I see the Lord doing something there. I see a really great volunteer worship team, all volunteers, led by my buddy Bradley, who comes in and sets this thing up every week. I see a transition team who took care of everything as we transitioned from ACF Northwest to Northwest Community Church so that I didn't have to think about it, which is good for all of us. I see an elder team who supports me and my wife and our staff, and they're here for you. I see this eight-year-old but brand-new little church poised to love one another and to love others well in this community. I don't know why. You know, I don't know what the next thing is that the Lord's going to ask of us, but I believe it's something. So this is what I, these are the things that I see. And I just want us to aspire, to be open and aspire to this. That we wouldn't be a church that seeks to make a name for itself, but we'd be a church who can't wait to share the good news about the king and his kingdom with other people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this morning. Thank you for this little parable that says so much to me about trust, about not being so caught up in my own world and circumstances, Lord, that I don't lean on you. I pray for that relationship with each and every person, that as we share communion today, Lord, as a, as a church family, that we remember what you said on the night that you went to the cross. We remember that you were willing, you didn't want to, but you were willing to go to the cross for us because of your love for us and your desire to restore us. And that we also remember that there will be a day that we will stand with you in your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.